My name is Jasmine and I am 24 years old. I rise before the sun to begin the work of caring for my parents, my husband and my two children. It is our custom for women to start the day by drawing a flower in front of our door to bless our household. The hope that my children will have a better life than me carries me through the day. Every morning, I walk to a small pit where the animals bathe to collect water. The water is very dirty, but I must use this water for my daily chores. In the dry season, I never know if there will be enough water for my family. I cried for many days when the dirty water made my children very sick. I felt helpless. But a new hope is growing in my heart. Today, people came to our community to drill a well. They taught us how we could better protect our family's health. I am so grateful for this blessing. Soon we will have water to drink and clean with. Now I have learned how to keep this water safe for my children. Our future will be beautiful. Your gift of safe water will support and empower hardworking women like Jasmine. Because of you, they will have more time to provide for their families, care for their children, and lead their communities. I appreciate Jasmine's story so much because she is simply trying to accomplish what all of us are. She's trying to live her life, to raise her family, to care for her parents, just like all of us do. But Jasmine's story is one where she didn't have the most basic of resources that are necessary to accomplish that very thing. Imagine if we didn't have access to water. I appreciate her story. I appreciate the victory that comes through it as a well is provided in her community so that she can take care of those needs that are present all around her. And water can make that a reality. It did in her life, and we believe that it can in the lives of so many others as well. And so at Pathway, we're working to take clean water to people specifically this year in northern India. And along with the water from those wells, those beautiful wells where we saw the water coming from the pumps, we're taking the living water of Jesus Christ also so that they might not just have water for their bodies, but living water for their soul, that they might know the gospel, that they might be able to respond to that. 
And as we've told you before in this Give Joy season, we are working in northern India and wherever a well goes in, there is a church, a house church that is planted right there in that very community, connected to the water. The well is placed in Jesus' name. The church, of course, starts in the same way in this predominantly Hindu culture, giving an inroad for the gospel where otherwise there wouldn't be one. Giving clean water to the world is something that's been in our hearts at Pathway for many years. This is our 10th year of giving joy to the world in the form of water. I wasn't even sure myself how many wells we had done, whether brand new or rehab wells. And so I asked our partners at Living Water International, I asked them to research it for me quickly and, and tell me the number. And I was a little bit stunned to discover that Pathway, we have done 121 wells. That is amazing. There have been estimates that about a thousand people are assisted with every well. And so you can do the math on that. So proud of what has transpired and where we're going. In this season, we have goals that we would love to achieve as it relates to the numbers of wells that we can put in. To date, with a little bit of money that we've brought forward and with some folks who have been just giving consistently to give joy all through the year and what has already come in in this season. We're right at $26,000, which is fantastic. That's four wells. And I believe that we can do much more than that also. So I thank you for the way that you've been partnering, the way that you're going to. And I would encourage you to give generously as God would lead you in this season of giving joy to the world. There are different options that you can use to do so. Since you're watching online today, online might be your best avenue. You can go to our website, lifeatpathway.com, and you can find the Give tab. If you click on that, just find the line that has the drop-down menu under Fund, and you can select Give Joy, and you can follow through on the rest of that. Thank you again for your partnership in this great work, and I look forward to seeing how the Lord is going to use us in this season. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your call on our lives as a church to go forward with giving clean water, that you've touched our hearts with the need that exists around our world. And we would pray that our efforts would bring glory to your name, just as they bring blessing into communities. Lord, use us in a great way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Since it's Christmas Eve, my guess is that you've been listening to a lot of Christmas music in recent days. Maybe exclusively, you've turned your playlist over to Christmas music. And if you're using the radio at all for that, doesn't it seem like they just play the same few songs over and over again? <laughs> well, that might just not be your imagination. Because I was reading a study that said that the top 15 Christmas songs actually make up 50% of a Christmas radio station's playlist. 50% of what they play are just those top 15 songs. So I thought we could play a little game with that. I'll give you a couple of different Christmas songs, and you can decide which one of them is in the top 15 on the master list. Okay? Let's give it a try. Here we go. The first pair is this. All I Want for Christmas is You, Mariah Carey, and Little Saint Nick by the Beach Boys. Which one of those do you think is in the top 15 
of the played songs. Well, that one's actually pretty easy. I'm sure that you guessed it's all I want for Christmas is you because it seems to me in my listening that that's like played 50% of the time all by itself. <laughs> it's always on. All right, here's another couple for you. Blue Christmas by Elvis or Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives. Might surprise you to find out it's Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives that is in the top 15, not Blue Christmas. Here's a third one. Silver Bells by Andy Williams or Last Christmas by Wham. I thought I'd throw that in there for all of you Wham fans. Are there Wham fans, really? <laughs> well, apparently there are some because people love that song. Last Christmas is in the top 15. Here's one. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Michael Buble or Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. It seems to me that it's the McCartney tune, but actually that's not the case. In the top 15 is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And then just one more. Feliz Navidad by Jose Feliciano or Leroy the Redneck Reindeer by, by Joe Diffie. Well, that one you can probably figure out as well. It's definitely Feliz Navidad. Well, with a few exceptions of ones like Leroy the Redneck Reindeer and Dominic the Donkey and, and the Chipmunks and other Christmas rodents, there are actually some great Christmas songs that are out there. Some of them obviously get played all the time and other ones not so much, but great songs nonetheless. And today I want to think about one of those songs with you. Now, it's probably not one that you've heard on any Christmas station this year. It's an oldie. I mean, it's a real oldie. It's like 2,000 years old. And the song I'm thinking of is Mary's song. You can find it in Luke chapter 1, right at the end of the chapter. And I'd invite you to go ahead and open up a Bible to that spot or your Bible app. Beginning in verse 46 is where we will be looking today. Sometimes this song is referred to as the Magnificat because that is the Latin word of the first so, or the first word in this translation, in the Latin translation, it's magnificat. It means my soul magnifies or my soul glorifies. And in this context, it's talking about glorifying, magnifying the Lord. The theme of Mary's song is clearly praise to God. But underlying that praise is another theme here in this passage. One that might just be a little bit surprising to you. It's not the sort of theme that is included in very many songs. In fact, most of us typically try to avoid it when we can. But Mary leans into it, and because of the blessing that we see all over her life, it can cause us, or should cause us, to lean into it ourselves as well for what it might mean for us. Throughout Christmas, throughout this season in December, we have been in a sermon series that we've called Imagine. And we've been imagining what it would be like to follow through on some priorities that God gives to us. And we found it to be pretty challenging along the way. We have looked at imagined joy. Imagine love from a biblical standpoint can be a very challenging thing. Imagine peace. And today we're going to take a look at what might be the most challenging of all, which is to imagine humility. To imagine humility. 
As we look at Mary's life and her song, we can see that her humble position is a lens that she's looking through that puts everything in her life into keen perspective for her. And for a few moments, I want us to open ourselves up to her perspective. Now, you might come at this a little bit skeptical. In fact, you might be listening in today and you might have some pretty serious doubts about God, about Jesus come into our world as a baby. But for a few moments, I just want you to open up your mind and open up your heart to what the Spirit of God might say to you in this time that we have together. When we're done, if, if you want to reject it all, that's certainly your prerogative. But perhaps God would like to say something. Let's open up our minds and our hearts together as we do so. Let's imagine humility as a pathway to purpose, because that's what Mary sees for herself. The lyrics to Mary's song can be found here beginning in verse 46. If you take a look at it, Luke chapter 1, it says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Don't miss that opening. Mary is calling Jesus her Savior. That's important. Some people would say, well, she didn't need a Savior, but she's not one of those people. She counts herself with those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's sinners that need saviors, and that's what she declares Jesus to be for her. One reason she's glorifying God is because he's her Savior. And another comes in verse 48 where it says, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. There are some who read that and suggest that Mary's applauding herself, patting herself on the back because God has noticed the humble state of his servant, like she's being lifted up because of her humility. But that's not what this is saying at all. In fact, it's saying just the opposite. This isn't saying that she's all full. What she is speaking to is in her humble state is how empty she really is. This is Mary's way of saying that she knows that she's a lowly peasant girl, that she's got nothing to commend her other than the fact that she's got God's touch on her life, God's grace extended to her, which leads her to participating in God's purpose in a very, very beautiful way. That's why there's praise erupting from her lips. Verse 48 continues, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Not, I've done great things for myself, not that anybody owed me. No, it's, it's the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. That's a clear recognition that God has done for her what she knows she couldn't ever possibly have done for herself. The key for all of us is to realize that just as God was active in Mary's life despite her lowly position, God seeks to be active in our lives despite our low position also. And yes, I do mean our low position. Now that might not sit very well in a you-deserve-it-all, everyone's-a-winner, everyone-gets-a-trophy sort of culture like we live in. But you're not always a winner. Sometimes you're a sinner. Sometimes we're all sinners. In fact, that is our starting point. See, here's the thing. While our culture would tell us that we're harming ourselves if we're not pumping ourselves up 
if we're not celebrating our own abilities, if we're not talking about how we deserve to be number one. We've got it backwards. You see, there's no harm in admitting to faults and in admitting to our shortcomings or to our failures. In fact, it's essential that we would because until we come to the place where we acknowledge where our genuine starting point really is, we're never going to be able to get ourselves onto an appropriate path to discover that which is best for us, certainly not that which is God's best for us. That's what Mary does. She imagines humility as the pathway to purpose. She recognizes that that's her starting point. And because she sees that to be true, it becomes the key that unlocks the gate to put her on the path that God has in store for her. It's her recognition of her own humility, her own lowliness that sets her up for the future. She would have missed that otherwise. She might have missed it all together. Because I can tell you this, Mary wasn't walking around imagining that what God's purpose for her was going to be, what he ends up revealing was what it was. Trust me, Mary was not walking around town. And when people would ask her, what are you going to do when you grow up? She never said, I want to be the mother of Jesus. She never said, I want to give birth to God. Yet that is the very thing that defines her life that God had in store for her. And it could very well be that the thing that God wants to have define your life is not something that's on your radar right now either. But as we put ourselves in the place where we imagine humility as being a pathway to purpose, we put ourselves in the place where Mary started, which is the place where we also appropriately start. It can unlock the gate to put us on God's path that he intends for us. Imagine humility being the pathway to purpose. Now, I understand that putting yourself in God's hands can see like, seem like a, a big step, but I don't want you to be scared at making that sort of adjustment or making that change in the way that you think and maybe recalibrating what God's best for you really would be. As Mary's song continues here, she makes it clear that she has found her confidence in what God can do for her. And she can rest in that because of what she knows that God has done in the past. Because of his proven track record in the past, she's finding confidence for her present. My wife Carolyn and I had an anniversary very recently. And we've been together a long time now, long enough that I pretty well have a handle on the way that she's going to act in most situations because she's proven herself to be very consistent. So if I get into a big project at home, something that's challenging, I can be confident that she's going to, to jump in and help and, and volunteer to do whatever she can to assist. I've known her long enough now and seen her in enough circumstances that I know that if we're having a meal or a dessert and, and we're coming up short on the food, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that she's going to insist that she would be the one who would go without. Unless it's pumpkin pie. <laughs> and then that's, a, that's a different story altogether. But she's proven herself to be consistent over and over again. And I have confidence in what she is going to do. But what Mary is telling us here is that there's a confidence that she has in God always perfectly responding. 
in his perfectly consistent activity. She goes on in verse 50 to tell us about God. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. That's Mary's perspective on God's faithfulness. It's not, he'll do it if he feels like it. It's not on a whim. It's not just minute to minute. It's generation to generation. That's how God has proven himself. And so when God comes to Mary and says, I want this for you, she doesn't hesitate to respond. She doesn't understand it all, but she never objects because she's seen and understands God's activity where he's proven himself from generation to generation. And with that, Mary turns an interesting corner. She begins to speak of God's consistency where those who are self-promoting and proud are concerned. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mary would have been one who would have known what it would be like to be mistreated by others by people in power, by people of position, people with wealth, because she was used to being looked down upon. One of the reasons was because she was a woman. And unfortunately, a woman in that culture was oftentimes just disregarded out of hand. Interestingly enough, it was going to be her son, Jesus, who was going to speak into that sort of circumstance and give women an honor that they had never experienced before up until this point. There also would have been the circumstance that she would have been labeled because she's going to end up as a woman who is pregnant outside of wedlock. And people would have ridiculed her and laughed at her in a way that wasn't deserved. But despite all of the personal hurt, she's come to understand that God is able to take all of that for her And that she can rest in and trust in his promise and his purpose for her. Because he has a proven track record that lasts from generation to generation. That might be a word of encouragement for you as well. Perhaps you're in a situation where people have been ridiculing you or cutting you down or treating you poorly. And it seems so unfair. It seems so unjust that they would treat you in that way. Maybe they're cheating you out of the promotion that you would think you would deserve at work while you're stuck in your honesty and in your integrity. Maybe it's in some other realm, but what Mary's words tell us is to not fall into those same patterns and traps. It's interesting that what she speaks of here that leads to their demise is their pride. It's how they would lift themselves up, how they would declare their own goodness, their own might, their own strength. And you see what she says God does for the humble? He lifts them up. He lifts them up. He always has. He always will. It's the way that he has responded from generation to generation. 
So let's imagine humility as a pathway to purpose. We see that in Mary. And it's what God wants to do in us as well. So as you enjoy this Christmas Eve and tomorrow Christmas Day, and perhaps as you have an altered schedule with the holidays here in the week that is to come, and maybe you have a little bit of extra time to ponder and reflect and imagine, what I want you to do is have a Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas, M-A-R-Y Christmas, like we see in her. And what would that look like? Well, it would lead us to the place where we would imagine humility. Imagine humility. It would be one where you pause and ask yourself what's driving you where you're headed. Is it the lowliness of spirit that we see in Mary? Or is it a pride? Or something else that you've just found internal to yourself that is leading you toward things that are more characteristic of self-interest and pride and personal goals? Then what I'd invite you to do is ask someone else to help you to do an evaluation. Because the fact is, we are not very good at evaluating ourselves when it comes to pride and when it comes to humility. But if you have someone that you trust, ask them. (laughs) And then give them grace with the answer that they give you because it just might be challenging. But if we can imagine humility as the pathway to purpose, we can find ourselves where Mary finds herself, living in service to God. (laughs) Living in service to God in such a way that defines our lives. See, we're people who have an interest in God, an interest in following His ways. It's probably why you're listening. But can we say that our lives are given over fully and completely to what God desires? Is the way that we're living defined by our relationship with God? I pray that it would be. I pray that we would imagine humility as the pathway to purpose, seeing ourselves where God sees us, using that as a key to open the door that puts us on God's path for us. I pray in this Christmas season that that would be so. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the example that we have in Mary, who is one who found you to be her Savior, who is one who imagined humility in the combination with your faithfulness became a pathway to purpose. Lord, we want to find your perfect purpose for us. Some of us have been spinning our wheels, just wondering kind of where it is. Others of us have been happily going down a path which has been leading us down the wrong road to a conclusion, but not the one that has us aligned with your design for our lives. 
So Lord, today we want to imagine humility that puts us on the pathway to your purpose for us. We pray that you would lead us there. In Jesus' name, amen.